0: Welcome to the Awakening Church Podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. If you've been with us over the last six months at Awakening, we have been journeying through the Sermon on the Mount. And today, we're actually going to press pause on that and flip it all the way back to the Old Testament. (laughs) when Ryan asked me to preach on this Sunday, it was back in January, and I was so excited, to say the least, so excited. And so, you know, I asked him, like, well, what is the topic going to be, or what is the verse going to be that I'm preaching out of? And then he said, you know, no, it's a standalone message. You can preach on whatever you want. I was even more stoked, specifically because I already had something that God was brewing in my heart that I wanted to share. So I, if you turn your, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to your Old Testament, to the book of Habakkuk. You might be wondering, Habakkuk what? What did she just say? Habakkuk is the prophet's name. And no, I'm not just preaching out of this today because I can also relate to having a hard name. No, <laughs> this, <laughs> this short three-chapter book of the Bible dramatically changed my walk with Jesus in the last year. I am an avid note taker, so my Bible is just covered in like scribbles in the margins. And so I have a screenshot actually that we can share. And I don't know if you can see it fully in the back, but it's something I wrote in my Bible on my book of Habakkuk. And I said in August, God is brewing up a sermon in me on this book. And I just wanted to share this because it's such a special moment right now, because at this point, I had no idea if or when I'd ever share it. I just knew I was feeling like tugged on my heart to share it. I didn't know if for one Ryan would ask me to preach and that I could preach on whatever. So this is truly a really special full circle moment that I believe God had his hands in. So I'm excited to share it with you this morning. So let's dive in with a question or a series of questions. Have you ever felt confused with what God is doing in your life or not doing? Have you ever been so desperate for God to answer a prayer and it's just going unanswered? You just feel silence. This is exactly where Habakkuk is at when our story opens up. And my aim today is to take us through his journey, and don't worry, it's only a three-chapter book, (laughs) and specifically to share how I felt like Habakkuk in this season. The reason I love this book so much, and many people have never really dove into it, it's kind of a random book in the Old Testament, and yet it's so profound because Habakkuk was a prophet And he was the only prophet in the Old Testament who wasn't just delivering a message to people. He wasn't just a prophet delivering God's message to his people. He was just dialoguing with God. It was just him and God. So this short three-chapter book is really us as the reader having the opportunity to be a fly on the wall and to see Habakkuk's dialogue with God. Let me set the scene for you a bit, and I want to start with a disclaimer that the book of Habakkuk is pretty meaty. It's an Old Testament book with a lot of historical context, and so I hope today you'll be okay with the Cliff Notes Nassim edition of Shedding the Light, because for the sake of time, I really wanted to just focus in on the heart of Habakkuk, not too much of the historical context, but if you are nerdy, like I am, you can go back and read all of it, and the Bible Project is an excellent resource, too, to kind of give you an overview of the historical context. But Habakkuk was a prophet who was witnessing his nation, Israel, being demolished in real time. The leaders were corrupt. There was unspeakable evil taking place. Death, bloodshed, corruption. Just a general sense of hopelessness. Unfortunately, this doesn't sound too far from home for us, does it? Right? We can turn on the news at any point in time, and we are unfortunately bombarded with the level of chaos that's going on in our nation and in our world. Some examples that come to mind for me as I just think of people being persecuted and killed for their faith in mosques. A week later, people being persecuted and killed for their faith in churches, right, places of worship all over the world. There's refugee crises. There's this ongoing epidemic of pollution and what will be the future of our world. The list goes on and on and on. And so, if I were to sum up Habakkuk's state of mind, I would call it a state of perplexity, which is the first blank in your notes. And you'll see that the way that I've outlined your notes this morning is to summarize and take us through the state of minds that Habakkuk goes in and out of as we transition through all three chapters of this book and how it's so relatable for us today. So as the book opens up, let's dive right in. We're placed as this lie on the wall. We're seeing Habakkuk cry out to God in desperation. Right out of the gate. Chapter 1, verse 1. And we have all the verses on the back. Habakkuk cries, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear me? Or cry out to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity or sin? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous and justice goes forth perverted. Talk about laying it all out there, right? And I I love that Habakkuk does this because I think it's this reminder for us, if we ever needed one, that God cares so much about our emotions. God wants us to go to him with our confusion, with our mad, with our sad, with our distraughtness, he cares. The difference is experiencing emotions and being led by them, right? So let's continue. So immediately after this cry, God answers. He answers back, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, and he says, Oh, no, rest up. I'm very aware, and I'm actually going to do this. He says in verse 5, I'm about to raise up the Babylonians to punish you, the fierce and ferocious Babylonians world-conquering Babylon, grabbing nations left and right, a dreadful and terrible people making up its own rules as it goes. In case I lost anyone here, just to shed some more light on this, at this time, the Babylonians were even worse than Israel. You can read through their entire rap sheet through chapter 2 of Habakkuk, but just to give you a few examples, the Babylonians were looters of many nations. They cut off other families just to secure their own Um, empires and their seat on the throne, if you will. They built their cities with bloodshed and war, and they worshiped idols. So rightfully so, you can imagine when Habakkuk hears that this is God's master plan, he's shocked. He's like, God, what? Like, what are you doing? What is going on? How? Why? Babylon? They are worse than us. He's like, I can imagine him just thinking, you know, you're going to destroy the injustice in my nation using an even more unjust, crazy nation? Like, and you're a just God? Like, how does this even work? And again, going back to being led by our emotions to experience them, let's continue reading. Just to see Habakkuk's disgust with God's answer. In verse 12, he continues. God, you're from eternity, aren't you? Holy God, we aren't going to die, are we? God, you chose Babylonians for your judgment work? Rock solid God, you gave them the job of discipline. You can't be serious. You cannot condone evil. Why are you silent now? And it's the same for many of us today, right? Why are you silent now? And yet, Habakkuk's conclusion to this soliloquy of lament, if you will, is what I want us to focus on. See, amidst the confusion and the complaints, he ends his plea by basically saying like, "Okay, God, I got it all out. I've vented. I've processed." Now I'm just going to wait for a second. Chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me, he being God, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. See, Habakkuk felt this entire gamut of emotions, and yet he wasn't led by them. Instead, he decided to actively wait in expectation for God to move. Oftentimes in our society, we think of waiting as something passive, right? I think of being in line at the DMV, (laughs) at the waiting room, right, at the doctor's office. We think of it as time wasted. We try to distract ourselves. It's just aimless, pointless time we're trying to get rid of. But biblically speaking, our waiting needs to be active, meaning we wait with an expectation and a hope. One definition I love says, waiting is the concept of being acted upon rather than acting. I'll say it again. Waiting is the concept of being acted upon rather than waiting. In this case, waiting for God's action and direction. How many times have we been here, right, in this same place, so confused? God, what are you doing? Have we ever considered maybe God wants to shift our perspective? See, oftentimes in our society, I think we hear the phrase thrown out, God is a God of love, which is 100% true. But I think in this millennial culture, it's also come to develop this subtext to take it to mean, well, if God's a God of love, then that precludes him from ever acting in a way contrary to what I want, right? (laughs) And the problem isn't with God's actions or our inactions. It's with our limited perspective. And this is exactly what Habakkuk begins to transition into. In his state of, you can even imagine like physically, like he's looking at the perplexity and the circumstance and then kind of just doing a shift to like, okay, I'm actively waiting on you, God. God, what do you have to say to me? He begins to go through this perspective shift. Let's keep reading to see how. Verse two of chapter two, God basically is like, okay, Habakkuk, now that I have your attention, write this answer or vision plainly on stone tablets so that a runner can carry the message to others. The righteous will live by their faith. That's God's answer. That's God's remedy for Habakkuk's woes. It's not this, you know, five points of success. It's not this strategy that a coach would give their team. It's a one-liner, a very powerful one-liner at that. And I want to unpack faith right now because I think so often we hear phrases, whether we are Christians or not, right? Like, just have a little faith, right? All it takes is a little faith. What, is, what does that even mean? What is faith? Michael Pasqualero, a professor at Fuller Seminary, defines faith this way. He says, true faith is not something that we have and use. It's not a tool in our hands just to make things happen. True living faith has us. Since faith in God is a glad willingness to accept God's will as it comes to us each day, as God continues to be God. He goes on to say, living faith is entrusting ourselves into God's hands as he speaks and acts in every circumstance of our lives. This is the perspective shift that Habakkuk begins to go through. He knows that he can and will act in every circumstance. And so it's hard to grasp, though, right? Like, how can we live by faith when it's all so confusing and overwhelming? What does that even mean? As I was preparing for this message, I came across this pastor at a church in New York. His name is James Van Tholen. He has a very interesting story. He became the head pastor of his church at only 31 years old. Very awesome man, very charismatic, and unfortunately and tragically, he was diagnosed with a very rare and incurable type of cancer a few months after becoming the head pastor of this church. So he goes into treatment for about seven months, and there's no cure, but it's really just to give him some more time. And in his time coming back to his church, he preaches a series of extremely powerful sermons. James Van Thielen unfortunately lost his battle a year later, but during that time, he knew what it was like to have your faith rock to the core, right? I'm sure I can only imagine. And in his book, Where All Hope Lies, it's a collection of every sermon he's preached, in one sermon he talks about Habakkuk, and he talks about this idea of Habakkuk living in the in-between, quote-unquote. I love this concept. What he means is Habakkuk knows that God's on a mission, right? He knows that God in some way, shape, or form is on a mission to bring justice forth. He also knows that the plan that God's told him he's going to do is completely <laughs> wild and contrary to what he thinks is going to you know, bring forth justice. So how is God going to do this through one of our enemies? He's living in this in-between. How can God's plan and the terribleness of our world go on at the same time? I think it's the same for us, right? We're trying to manage between these two tensions, between God's promises and when they're gonna be shown on full display, between you know God being faithful and the terribleness of this world, or the unanswered prayers. How can both realities coexist? It all goes back to God's call for us in chapter two, the righteous will live by faith. And I wanna pause right here and be completely transparent with all of you that I stand up here right now and I'm talking about living by faith. I have by no way shape or form mastered that. I you know, I think I am still living in the in-between, which is why God's done such a work in me in the way that I feel like I've been Habakkuk in this season. And so I felt that God was taking on my heart to kind of give you guys a peek into a season of my life where I feel like I'm Habakkuk. I'm turning 30 this fall, And do you guys ever have those moments where you kind of just take a bird's eye view at your life and you're like, wow, life hasn't turned out the way I thought it would. (laughs) Not not good or bad, right, per se. It's just this like sobering reality. (laughs) And if you know me, you know that I am an extremely relational person. I love connecting with people deeply and getting to know their stories. (laughs) If we're friends, we probably shared some deep laughs, maybe a good cry at one point. And with that part of my wiring and personality, there comes this desire to take that a step further in this desire to find love. And for me, never having had a serious boyfriend, never having been in love, never having that connection with anyone yet, the waiting has become my reality. And I'm not gonna lie, in the last two years of officially tapping into the late 20s category, It's gotten extremely difficult. See, we're surrounded in our society by these markers of success, right? Not even in our world, but also in Western Christian culture, specifically. If you're not married by a certain age with kids, you're looked at with a sense of pity, or people, you know, wow, why is she still single? She's such a good catch, though. I don't know. I don't know. What? I don't know. What do you want me to say to that? How are you supposed to answer that? And with that, you know, to make it a little more serious though, comes social media and this ongoing comparison web that it so easily snags us into. And to be completely transparent with you guys today, for me, that comparison looks like being, having been a bridesmaid in over a dozen of my friends' weddings. I'm wondering, wow, well, when will it be my turn? Seeing that my life has not followed the same path that all the other people I grew up with did. It also looks like being a wedding planner, seeing people's love stories unfold as part of my job, and wondering, will I ever have that? I struggle with feeling isolated, with feeling forgotten, with feeling ghosted, and with that, healing from then feeling not pretty enough, not enough, too much, then feeling petty for feeling all these feelings, and finally, just feeling not worthy of pursuit. Sometimes I try to bargain with God, as crazy as that sounds. I'm like, God, but I'm, I've done so much good things for you, right? Like, whatever that means. Why are you holding out on me, God? Like, I feel like I'm a good Christian. And then, I, then my, you know, logical part of my brain is like, that's so not how God works. It's so backwards. Maybe you're sitting here today and you completely relate. Maybe you're in this season as well. For others of you, maybe you're past this season, but I know you can relate because we're all waiting for something, right? Maybe you're sitting here and you're desperately wanting to be a parent and the time hasn't come yet. And you're just waiting for that moment. God, please, I want a child so bad. Maybe you're sitting here and you're waiting for that perfect job you thought you'd be an amazing fit for and it hasn't come to fruition yet. For others of you, Maybe you feel like all of your accomplishments are behind you. And you're kind of in that middle ground of like, well, what's next? You feel kind of aimless. You're waiting for that passion and the hope to arise. Still for others, maybe you're grieving. And you're waiting for that grief and that emotion to pass. And finally, still for others of you, maybe your life has gone perfect. Maybe you've gotten everything you ever wanted. And you're still not satisfied. Wherever we're at today, church, the reality of living by faith means that I have to daily surrender my desires for control and power and my own timeline for my life, right? And it means still keeping my standards high and not settling for something out of desperation or desire. It means checking myself to make sure that none of these desires that we want, and they're all good, None of these desires should take precedence over God as the king on the throne in my life, right? Who is on the throne in your life today? Richard Rohr talks about the wildness of God. I love this quote. He says, the fact that we have to learn that we can't control God, not even by our good behavior, not by our performance, not by our expectations. We can't earn God's love. We can't lose it. We can't manipulate it. Instead, we have to surrender to God's love through trust, vulnerability, and ultimately faith. And you might be thinking, okay, Nassim, how how do I have faith though, right? Like, what did God mean when he said to Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith? Like, what does that actually look like when I'm going through so much? Faith isn't just repeating a positive mantra over your life and hoping it's true. No. Faith is not the absence of doubt. No, it's actually much more practical than that. Faith takes work. Faith takes work. And so I want to just share with you guys four practical ways that I live by faith in this season through what scripture has taught us. And I know that there's so many more, but these are just four that my prayer is today that one or all of them will speak to you and challenge you. So the first way we live by faith is we know who God is. We have to know who God is and what, who his character is. If we don't know who God is, how can we have realistic expectations on God? We have to know that God's promises cannot be broken. How do we know that, though? We have to know that by knowing his word. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. That is our anchor. Do we trust God enough to know that he will work things out for the good of those who love him? A few weeks ago, Chris preached on anxiety, And he mentioned that one of the ways that we're called to combat our anxiety is by knowing who God is, reminding ourselves of who God is. We find that in the Bible. And so I ask you today, are we spending enough time in our word, right? It sounds so cliche, like read your Bible, but no, like are we spending enough time positioning ourselves in a posture to hear from God, to get to know his character? Because I don't know about you guys, I've been a Christian for like 20 years and I feel like every day I'm learning something new about God's character, it is not, it's endless. <clears throat> Secondly, and so important, we stay rooted in our faith by keeping ourselves deeply rooted in the community, surrounding ourselves with like-minded community. I cannot stress how important this is. We often don't wanna let people in, right? It's, it's hard to get vulnerable, it's sticky, it's messy. But having accountability from like-minded Christians to shed light on your circumstances when we're blinded by them, there's nothing like it. You know, that's why at Awakening, we value things like discipleship and groups and serving so much, right? It provides you that central hub of like-minded believers. I think of my community as like my charging port, right? When I'm on the mid to low battery, they charge me back up. They connect us to the body of Christ And therefore, it's back to God by default. They're there to carry us when we can't walk another step. Third, and this is the crux of this message today, friends, it takes work. What I mean by that is we have to fight for our faith. We have to fight daily for our faith. My good friend Shayla brought up this illustration a few weeks ago. And it's so simple, and yet it's had this profound impact on me. She talked about how, you know, we can go to the gym for a few weeks in a row, right? We start to develop muscle, we get toned, feeling good, looking good. And the moment that we stop going for, let's say, a few weeks, two weeks, that muscle starts to diminish, right? starts to desist. And so when we're prioritizing things like our physical fitness or our mental health, how much more do we have to fight for our spiritual health? We need to fight the same way we do to keep that muscle toned, the same we have to do with our spiritual muscles, friends. Right, Because there is an enemy, a very real enemy, prowling around, wanting to lie to us every single moment of the day to tell you that you're not good enough to get you into a pit of loneliness and anxiety and depression and despair. Right, And we have to fight. We, that's why the Bible talks about putting on our armor. We're in a battle. We are in a spiritual battle. So when we put that armor on, we have the strength in Jesus to fight back. So... I just encourage you today, do you have that strength and that trust in God to keep fighting for your faith, even when it gets hard? Faith is not just this tool, right, or a blueprint that we're given for success. Faith is a a gift that God gives us, but then it becomes this cooperative work that God does with us as well, right? We have to do it with God. We have to fight for it to grow. And finally, I encourage you to develop a practice of writing down the promises. Write down the moments when breakthrough happens. This goes back to exactly what God said to Habakkuk in chapter 2. He said, remember, write the revelation down. Make it plain on stone tablets. What we're reading right now in Habakkuk is because he wrote it down. What we're reading in our Bibles every day is because people had the obedience to write it down. Would we write down the promises as well? Human beings, are we're so forgetful, right? Something, we get so busy, it's just natural. Something God might do today, tomorrow, we might forget it a month from now. When we develop a practice of writing things down, journaling them, meditating on them, that's when we see our faith begin to grow and flourish. That's when we can empower others as well. In my own life, I mentioned to you um, just this season of really feeling in the in-between and at moments feeling like, God, why are you holding out on me? And as I was just thinking through this message, I was taken back to this moment on my 29th birthday this past November. And in this season, I just vividly remember, I don't know why, but it just kept coming to me, like, God, why are you holding out on me? That phrase just kept coming to me. And now that I look back, it was such a lie from the enemy that I just kept believing and I kept repeating it. And on my 29th birthday, a group of like six or seven of my really close friends, my community, my people that keep me going, they hosted like a little, just like a a birthday night for me, like a wine and cheese night. And we were together, and they did something unique that, that no friend has actually ever done for me before. And they prayed for me, they spent time praying for me, and they each had these note cards. And they were writing down, we just spent like 20 minutes in worship and prayer and silence. And they were praying for me and writing down what God was revealing to them for me. And so I was loving it, and in that moment, I was like, well, what do I do? I'm just kind of sitting there waiting. And one of them was like, no, you do the same thing. Like, you do the same. Like, what is God trying to tell you? I was like, oh, okay. So, so then I, I, started, I started praying and, you know, just in silence for like 10 minutes. And I immediately felt this wave of Psalm 84 coming at me, just that, Psalm 84. And I want to be clear, it was not this voice from the clouds, right? Like Psalm 84, like God's voice. It was not that. I don't know how else to explain it, but other than just this like hard-pressed conviction of like just Psalm 84 came to mind. And I'll be honest, at first part of my brain was like, you're just making that number up, right? Like there's over a hundred Psalms. You're just thinking of a random number. And then the other part of me was like, no, like why don't I, you know, why don't I just open it up and see what it says? So I'm reading through it. And the very last two lines of that psalm completely wrecked me, in the best way, and it says, "The Lord is a sun and a shield; no good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly." <laughs> and, in the, and blessed is the one who trusts in Him. And in that moment, I just felt this like me and God moment of God being like, "I am speaking directly to you. This is my promise." This is my character. I'm not holding out on you at all. I don't withhold anything. And so that is why just this epic truth became this like lifeline for me, right? It became this like just promise that I'm clinging to in a season where sometimes I am, you know, going through that in between, right? Sometimes I am mad at God, but I'm able to go back to this and be like, no, God, you're good. I'm going to trust you, God. And so I hope that that example just gives you some, I don't know, just some encouragement to write down the promises because they're life changing. These are all the ways that we shift our perspective and begin to live by faith. Sorry, they're not all the ways. There's some of the ways. There's more. (laughs) But those are four of the ways. As we take it back to Habakkuk's experience, right, on this journey, we're seeing his faith grow. We're seeing his perspective shift. And as we get to chapter three, the most beautiful thing about this entire book, friends, is that at the end of the journey, you'd think, right, like a happy ending, things are blissful, he sees the end in sight. Actually, it's not that at all. None of his circumstances have changed. He's still in the same boat. Things are, in fact, things are looking pretty dismal. And yet he's taken that vision, that revelation of living by faith to heart, and he's able to conclude with transitioning into a state of praise, which is your final bullet point. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, the very last two parts of this chapter, this book, makes it clear that nothing has changed. Things, in fact, look very dismal. (laughs) And Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop has failed, and the fields produce no food, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is the Lord, my God, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. And you'll see if you're reading through your Bibles at the very end of that, there's a tiny footnote that says "played on stringed instruments." And many times we we gloss over this point. And I was, as I was reading through, I was reading a commentary talking about how what this means is while the entire first two, two chapters are just a dialogue. This last portion was actually a song that Habakkuk sang to God in praise. How beautiful is that? That through the lament of the fruitlessness and the empty sheds and all that, he's singing and praising God, right? And and sometimes friends, so we might we might never know why God's doing something. Other times we come to find out later. But this message is not about you know you'll find out soon. Like it's not about that because. For me, I'm still in that unknown. I don't know why God's doing certain things. Maybe you don't know either, right? And I want to acknowledge as well that we're not robots. We can't be automated to praise, right, just through the tough times. But my challenge to us today, and it's been a really great challenge for me, is this praising is a spiritual discipline we have to develop. It's part of fighting for our faith, right? It's that muscle we have to flex, More simply stated, rejoicing is a choice, right? Rejoicing is a choice. It can often be a sacrifice to praise God, right? It's a sacrifice of our desires, our time, our emotions, our motivations. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Meaning, if we just want to praise God when we feel, you know, like it, we might never do it. If we just want to praise God when he does what we want, that's such, it's more like a transactional relationship. It becomes more like he's just our genie giving us what we want. Our spirits need the desire to praise God because of God's nature in us. That comes with a mindset shift. That comes with a perspective shift. So like Habakkuk friends, we don't have to understand God's ways to trust him. We do not need to understand God's ways to trust him. We can trust him by knowing his character, by knowing that he's faithful and good and just. And we know this through God's word. Amen. This is how Habakkuk goes from how long shall I cry in chapter 1 to I will rejoice and celebrate in chapter 3 it is all a testament to the radical impact of living by faith and encountering God. And I think one of the best ways to get into this state of praise is we have to start taking the spotlight off of ourselves. Really, we're we're the main character on our own stories, right? Everything needs to go our way. We have our own wants and desires. And while much of that is still good, we have to make it a practice of acknowledging God first. When I get in my low moments, which they come and go in waves, but I've made it a practice of, like, when I drive, I usually pray, especially, like, when I'm driving to work in the mornings. And sometimes I I just start thanking God. And it's so counteractive, but I'm like, God, I'm kind of, like, upset today for whatever reason. God, I want this so bad. You know my desires. But God, thank you that I'm able to invest in my community right now. God, thank you that I'm able to grow into the person that you've called me to be ministry-wise. God, thank you that I'm able to travel and invest in my girlfriends, right? Whatever, I know for all of us today, it looks different. But once we begin praising God, our perspective begins to change, right? And we still wait with an active expectation. We still expect that he is going to move and he is good. So I encourage you today, praise him through your pain. Praise him through the unanswered prayers. That's the active waiting and faith that God wants for us. And I can honestly stand up here with 100% certainty and tell you, like, I'm, I'm at a place right now where I am so much more desiring to fall in love with Jesus every day than to fall in love with any person anymore. Like, I am just so desiring Jesus with all of my core. That's all that I want, and I praise God that he's brought me to that place. And so as the band comes back up and we're going to worship in a sec, but the good news today, friends, to conclude on is we have access to this faith in God through Jesus Christ. We were given access to God through his son's ultimate sacrifice that redeemed us back to him, that reconciled us back to God. Because of this salvation, we're able to rejoice in faith. What Habakkuk wrote down was literally fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And this is the one verse I hope that we can just pause and focus on. Romans 1.17, Paul is talking about the gospel of Jesus. He says, this gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's righteousness, a perfect righteousness given to us when we believe. This is the key. It moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living by faith. This is what the scripture meant when it said the righteous will live by faith. See, Paul is literally quoting Habakkuk chapter 2 in Romans. How cool is it that this prophecy in the Old Testament was brought to fruition and completion through Jesus Christ. So, amen. So my call today for us, church, is to challenge us to trust the process, to, to go through the perspective shift of truly living by faith, even amidst the waiting, even amidst the confusion, thus being able to praise my prayer for us today is we would not only receive life through faith, but that we'd have the power of living by faith. That faith, which is rooted in Jesus and surrendering our own needs for control, happiness, success, etc. That's the secret weapon. So would you close your eyes with me as we go into a time of worship? And I ask if you normally leave during worship, would you just stay? Would you stay in this moment? If you walked in today waiting for something, if you walked in today with emptiness or brokenness, even being angry or mad, would you just tell, would you give that to God? Would you just say, God, I surrender that emotion to you right now, God, I don't wanna be led by my emotions. My prayer for us, God, is that we would believe that you can't fail. God, that we would believe that you've never forsaken us, God. You've never left. You've never walked away. God, you're not withholding anything from us, God. Lord, would you give us the power to live by your faith, Jesus? God, whatever that looks like for every single person in every seat today, Lord, my prayer is that they would begin to see a new characteristic of you that they've never seen before. God, my prayer is that we would just praise you in a new way this morning, God. Lord, even through the perplexity, even through the confusion and the waiting, God, would you give us the strength to shift our perspective, to actively wait in expectation, knowing that you are good and you're up to something, God. God, there's no delay in your vocabulary. There's no such thing as delay. So my prayer is, friends, that we would just hone in on this moment and really worship God Worship him through the sadness and the sorrow and the anger. Let him replenish your spirit, just give you and refresh you. Would we come to a place where we're able to praise God in a new way? Not for ourselves, but just to give God the glory because of how good he is. Amen.